that's where the tandem of those intersection of creativity and technology is where a lot of these great tech giants and these kind of unicorns come from is where they find that right balance between the creative concept and the technological solution. In this episode, Dan and Phil are joined by the wonderful William Harvey, Global Digital Innovation Manager at Diageo. Will has so much to share on the topic of innovation, from tips and advice on staying inspired and fostering innovation to how large corporations can stay ahead of the curve. We really hope you enjoy this episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Very special guest, uh, Will Harvey, with us today. Welcome, Will. Hello, guys. Lovely to be connected and lovely to be joining you today. Well, to start off our ramblings, the first question we always ask is if you could be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? Who would it be and why? Good question. Um, I think it would be someone like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I find him such an inspirational bloke that that has really had a really interesting journey through his career, from being a wrestler to his story and his upbringing and, and how he's kind of commercialised and grown and created various different ventures. I think he'd just be, and he's such an upbeat character, I think he'd be such a lovely man to be stuck in the lift with, um, although maybe stuck because we're slightly different weights and holding us down may be the reason why we are stuck. But yeah, I think definitely he would be a good one. How about some wrestling with him? Would you try any wrestling moves? I'd have no chance. Little skinny guy like me against someone like him. It would, uh, yeah, I think it'd be very inspiring, but I think he'd definitely have me down for that. Uh, I don't want to give my age away, but the last wrestling match I watched was Mick McManus. (laughs) No, Dan, you're shaking your head. You've got no idea, have you? Mick McManus. But that was when they used to properly hurt each other when they were wrestling and they didn't sort of do the diving quite so much. Well, right. Anyway, um, never mind Mick. Um, so, Will, you actually went to school just up the road from me in Bromley. And I believe your year group produced quite a few success stories, didn't it? Yeah. No, it's a surprise learning, actually, that I kind of discovered recently. And I was chatting to a couple of you guys about it, is that I went to a school called Cooper's based in Bromley. So the kind of Cooper's was a technology college in the end. But I actually went to school with uh, Tom Allen and Rob Beckett, the two comedians who I saw recently on Mock the Week or one of the previous ones. They discovered that they had both been in the same year group at Cooper's and I was in the same year group as them. So I vaguely remember Tom. I think he was a very uh, different character then to how he is now. But um, yeah, Bromley Boys of Us uh, is uh, still very true and true. I think I'd, uh, the Coopers uh, group was definitely a good year when we were there. Ah, and my, my daughter and son-in-law have both bumped into them a few times at the local gym. So they're, like, they're the only famous people we've got in Bromley, really, aren't they? And they're both in your class at school. Yeah, they're still still locals. They're still down there. And you can always follow the antics of both of them on Instagram. But yeah, I've heard they are generally rambling around the area uh, all too often. Uh, if they like rambling, Dan, we can get them on here, can't we? we we're good at that, aren't we, mate? That's about all we're good at is rambling and, and talking nonsense. Well, it's your specialised subject, mate. That's a good one. So tell us about your journey from education into the industry. 
yeah, I've, I've, I'm very lucky, basically. I've kind of stumbled upon to my current role, which is a kind of global innovation um, manager for uh, digital within Diageo. But my path has been the non-linear one, as, as it is all too often for most people these days. I kind of started in usual kind of curriculum public school side of things. And then I was very lucky at an early age to kind of work at Apple. It was one of those Apple geniuses with a colourful T-shirts trying to fix your phone or help you with a service issue with your Mac in uh, Regent Street store as well as the uh, uh, Covent Garden store in Blue Water. And I, that is what inspired me to my love of technology and, and, and how technology can enrich lives. I, I just saw from working in the retail side of Apple the, the love and the joy of what that can do for people when people understand how technology can bring people together and connect them because it, it can be scary. And, and that's how I kind of very luckily managed to carve my kind of start of my career or my early days going into the agency world of um, both Ogilvy with the Ogilvy Labs with a lady called Nicole Yershin, um, and then uh, later days in VCCP, um, and then more recently at Diageo, kind of carving my way as a kind of creative technologist after being a broadcast student at Ravensbourne, who are obviously another curriculum of very diverse alternative talent people, that it isn't a linear route anymore. I, I, my parent, One of my parents was in advertising, one was a, a, an architect, and I, have, I started as a broadcaster, so a really weird and wonderful journey to ending up where I am today, that, that has helped shape and evolve, and I think all too often this happens more and more that the linear career is no longer there what's interesting and one of the guys we did a podcast with quite recently trevor chambers is like one of the most creative people i've ever worked with and yet he's always been dyslexic Mm. and i've worked with him for 25 30 years and he would always get me to check everything it was before you could go online and get do spell checks Mm. so i was his spell checker for at least 25 Yes, but I believe you're dyslexic. Tell, tell us yeah. a little bit about how that's affected your career, good and bad. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm very open. I'm, uh, I think dyslexia is a superpower for many people. We see more and more mm. about this neurodiversity and the understanding of alternative thinkers and, and challenging the way that things, uh, kind of the world works, really. I, I, I'm very heavily dyslexic and I embrace that. I have it in my email signature because in the early days, people saw it as a kind of, I was being arrogant or I wasn't checking my emails, but it was just because my brain is wired in a very different way. I, I see things and I describe things very differently to how I I would write things and that was something that I learned early in my kind of when tail end of my school years I was when dyslexia would start being embraced and the understanding for that and I've been a huge advocacy for dyslexia both a lot of the creative directors I've worked with over the years because generally creative people are probably more than likely to be dyslexic I've worked with a lot of those creative directors who kids have gone through school that have struggled a little bit with dyslexia and seen it as something that holds you back but I think if anything it gives you an opportunity to be different and and think differently and, and look at a problem flip it on its head and, and look at how you can be able to do things differently and that's i very much embraced and, and try to be an advocate and allow and the next generation of people to go look it's okay to be different it's okay to be dyslexic it is a fantastic very complex very difficult thing that wasn't understood a number of years and we all start to understand that over the next 10 20 years even more and that's so encouraging listen to that journey will for young people looking to get into the industry because I think, it, you know, it is hard. Let's be honest, it's hard to to sort of, you know, track out a career path, particularly when you're creative, because there's so many different options. And as you said, you know, coming through the whole understand of working with your dyslexia and things like that, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Now, I do want to pick up a little bit on the agency side. You're at the dark side of agency world. Now, 
there's a lot of long story we can go into there, but just a couple of questions around that. What were some of those key moments or projects in in those years of agency side that really shaped you, that really sort of, you know, really sort of grew you or shaped you or you learned something? Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I was very lucky. I'd done eight years, four years at VCCP, four at, at Ogilvy, and I was the first creative technologist for Ogilvy in London before they moved to the new office. And it was a very interesting time because they didn't necessarily know how to use me. They knew they needed the idea of this intersection of creativity and technology because I speak tech, but I can also speak creative. And I think that's where the tandem of those intersection of creativity and technology is where a lot of these great tech giants and these kind of unicorns come from is where they find that right balance between the creative concept and the technological solution. Because all too often we see a kind of tech for tech's sake, agency launches a metaverse thing and brand does X inside of VR headsets. And that's great. And it's important to be able to push the boundaries. But being agency side, I think it was important to work with creatives, creative directors, with the brands that we had to be able to think about how do we use technology to enhance an idea, take it to the next level, to really stand on its own stead. Technology isn't the idea. Technology should support it and support the message and the campaign and the vision of what you've got to do. And I think I was very lucky when I was in my very early years of, of Ogilvy, of being with, underneath Nicole Yershin as part of the Ogilvy Labs, which was a very different unit to the rest of Ogilvy, who, which were fantastic with lots of different areas. But we were a little protected bubble in a way. We, we had this opportunity to kind of free reign because of the support of people like Rory Sutherland and, and the legacy of the legendary people within Ogilvy to do what we want and, and enable us to pick and choose and work with various kind of departments within uh, Ogilvy to be able to kind of partner with them. And then they then got their own creative technologists. And that was a very unique time, I think, in those early lab days before. And it seems like everyone's got labs these days. But Nicole and the guys were very pioneering in that space, I would say. And did you take away any, any key things from those years that you apply now? I would say one of the biggest things I've taken away is <laughs> make sure your idea is never at the back of the deck. Because all too often there's creative idea, TV ad idea, out-of-home idea, and here's a technology idea. It shouldn't be a separate thing. It should be an integral and ingrained into a concept or a pitch. Because all too often we were very much wheeled out as, here's innovation, people, when it should really be an integral to what you're trying to do. And I think I was very lucky with clients like BA and, and, and Jaguar Land Rover that we did in the early days and some of the pieces that we were very pioneering with IBM and the relationship we had with the guys there to print data as size of trophies at Wimbledon as part of their sponsorship. But it's never been done before. And now it seems like the common ground of doing these kind of interactions and these experiences that are common, common brand book pieces. So fast forward that now then, you're in a you're in a in innovation role, you're looking at emerging technologies, you're looking at what looking ahead often working, what, maybe a year, two, three years ahead. How do you keep up to speed and sort of remain ahead of that curve? Because, or, you know, in your opinion, is it getting faster? It seems there's always, there's always a new shiny toy out there. There's always something else going on. You know, how do you keep ahead of the curve? I think to the point that me, you and Phil were having a brief chat before about the changing in the last two, three weeks and months. It's very difficult to be able to know what's going to happen. The landscape right now evolves and changes very quickly, especially within the technological side of things. And it's becoming more baked into our, our everyday lives. And, and 
the big elephant in the room is is COVID and what impact that has had in the long term. It's kind of the, the a number of technological and things that we didn't think would have happened in a five years happened in two years. And that's a really interesting cultural shift that has happened that we couldn't have predicted looking into my crystal ball. Um, but it's important to for our role as a kind of breakthrough innovation team for Diageo is to think think big but start small. And and there are a number of things that we would never have thought of change but has uh, dramatically evolved over the last um three to four years since i've been here at diageo that things like qr codes was a a, a joke or a kind of thing that never no one ever thought it was going to happen qr codes was this kind of end of the pitch deck put it on a poster didn't know how to use it and because the, the cultural shock of digital table ordering menus this system of what happened because of covid it's now kind of the skyrocketing adoption of qr codes that is very simple is about getting you to a digital experience from a physical touch point that we never thought would have happened but it took something such as a kind of pandemic for that that cultural shift to happen as well as a number of other things around our behaviors of culture and, and, and entertainment and the way that we celebrate and connect with one another right now we're doing this virtually together but maybe before covid there was a higher chance we probably would have done it in a room together which is starting to become the norm again but there's a balance of seeing that technological benefit and the uh, cultural adoption of where that goes you're going to drill it right back to some simple things now because I, you know, if you've worked out Phil and I are simple people, for our listeners listening to this, what do you, how do you describe innovation? What does innovation mean? I mean, you've got an amazing role. You've got, you know, you, you're looking at things that are cutting edge. We, we're talking about emerging technologies. We're talking about these big concepts. What does innovation actually mean to you? I think innovation is such a, it's like digital. It's such a broad thing. It could mean lots of different things. It's in the, it's in the interpretation of the beholder, really, in a way, innovation. And I think, um, for me, innovation isn't necessarily always has to be technology. Innovation is doing something differently or slamming together two existing things to create something new a new proposition, a new way of thinking, a new service or a new way that we can be able to work with consumers. It doesn't always have to be grounded in technology. And I've learned a lot since coming to Diageo. And what our team is the digital remit within innovation, but innovation for Diageo comes in very different forms from innovation in the bottle, the great new liquids that we launch all too often, the new flavours and variants of Baileys and Smirnoff and flavoured gins that we do is a great innovation. And that is a, a changing in a, a new service or a new product offering. Um, but the innovation around the bottle and innovation as a con- consistent user and consumer experience is, is is evolving. So I think it's very different. Innovation means different things to different people. For me, it's about that slamming together of two either existing ideas or conceptual interpretation of doing something a little bit different. And it doesn't have to be technology. I think drill it back to what is the problem you're trying to solve or what is a hypothesis that we want to be able to explore and, and, and dive into, which is what we try and always anchor it in a little bit. What's the problem we're solving? Dan asked you there about how do, how do you keep ahead? of this and how do you keep abreast of what's going on and i know that you go to south by southwest every year is that something is that something that you would recommend to other people they should be there or yeah i don't think dan's been 
I think we, maybe we need to do a podcast in South by Dan. Eh? That might be the, the what Phil's alluding to there. I'm there. I am there. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I think that it raises a good question. Is that how do you be inspired? How do you find new ideas? In this post-pandemic world, even more, is that we need to put ourselves outside of our comfort zones. South by is something that I've gone to for seven years on a trot, and then obviously pandemic mm. wasn't able to go to it. I find South by is a very good melting pot of different industries and different thinkers. And, and for me, South by is what are people going to be thinking about in the next five to 10 years? And then you've got the likes of CES, so Consumer Electronics Show, which is in January, which is in Vegas, um, which is a little bit more about what are going to be in people's homes and people's pockets and the technology that's going to be rolled out, which is good for me to keep on my radar. But the biggest thing I would say to people on these kind of these sessions, if you're listening in, is go outside of your comfort zones. I was very lucky in the early days. Go to something you don't know anything about. Go to a fintech event, a financial technology thing. I was at a, an event called Lux Pack a few weeks back, which is a luxury packaging conference. No way, shape or form, my traditional bread and butter. But I went there to go and listen to other people, to listen to other sectors, listen to different opinions on things. And I think you need to go outside your comfort zone to go to areas that you challenge yourself in. Because if you're just going to go and hang out in a room with a load of packaging people and talk about packaging and how amazing packaging is, you're going to get the same packaging solution. If you're going to go to an event that's outside of your comfort zone, that's where you get the nebulous of two different great ideas and industries smashing together is where you get those great new opportunities of the Uber of this or the, the Airbnb of that. That's how these things start is by slamming together different industries and sectors. And I think go outside your comfort zones, challenge yourself. We are very lucky in most cities around the world. There are a number of free conferences and events and, and areas that you can go into. Push yourself, go out there and learn something different because you never know when that's going to become valuable for when you're working on a project. Uh, do, you, do you meet a lot of the same people over in South by Southwest? Are they the regulars or is it always new people? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a few. There's a good group of South buyers that we. Uh, I, I never meet up with them in London. I seem to meet up with them in Austin, Texas. It takes me going all the way to America to catch up with some of these people. And um, very true with a number of other sectors and stuff. I think it's good to go there and meet up with the same regular crowd. We used to. I used to be very involved with the IPAs, so the industry practicing advertisers. They were very good at going out there and having at the end of the day a session where everyone would just get together and talk about what they've seen and share ideas and digest and say out loud what they've seen. So I think it's good to go and have that network when you do go to these things. I just am reluctant to not always do that because you fall back on the safety net of what you know and the people that you know, um, which is great to rekindle relationships, but it's not it's a bit counterintuitive to doing something a bit different when you're out there. But um, yeah, South by Crowd, we've got a massive WhatsApp group that's been going for about six years, almost seven years now, I reckon, from the early days of the IPA going out there. Um, that is just a great kind of community that i can reach out to and talk to that are all like-minded and, and people that all too often we see and we're seeing this more and more little bubbles of communities that have happened because of lines of communication whatsapp tiktok groups or, or whatever your your messenger uh, choice is it's it's really important to be involved with that it's, i've got about several whatsapp groups from ai and automation to a southway clan to packaging team that's good to be able to kind of expose yourself to and have a narrative going we're going to see you at digital Pledge this year as well aren't we 
Exactly. Yes, I'm going to be hopefully heading along to Digital Project in, in uh, December, which is something that I've always heard about and I've never managed to make my way down to it. A number of uh, the good guys at South by always talk about Podge, uh, so I'm very keen to come down and see what's going on and rekindle old relationships, but also make new ones. Phil, I'm going to start a Digital Podge WhatsApp group. Oh, are you? Yes. Right. Are, you going to, are you going to claim the whole thing as your idea? A hundred percent. I'm going to call it innovation and I'm just going to message people. And the only then... problem is you'd have to work out how old were you in 1994 when I did the first one? Oh, bloody hell. Wow. I was a wee teenager. Was I even a teenager? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was 13, coming on to 14. 13. And it was your idea when you were 13 years old. <laughs> you an absolute genius, man. What so a you, man. You've always said it. Always said he's a genius. Pioneer. But Will, on that note about South by and, and those events, does that spark innovation for you? Does that spark that thinking? Are you someone that caught need, no need, but loves that kind of dip, shaping of ideas, hearing what different people are doing? Does that get you going? Or do you like reading? Because it's because we're talking about innovation, about fusing different things together. So is your mind always thinking or always cogitating? Or how do you work? Uh. It's very different. There's no one set way that I approach things. And I don't think anyone should really have, there's no formula. There's no winning innovation right. formula. Everyone needs to find a way of doing it in their own way and feeling comfortable with it. And I think it's an evolution. It's a kind of journey. It's not necessarily a destination with these things. I, I try to make sure I get stimulus as much as I can from going to events now post-pandemic. I was at a spirits conference this morning just learning about spirit strategy and bottle toppers and sustainability and supply chains, which is good for me to be able to part that knowledge. Um, and I think it's important to be open. I, open innovation is always something that I'm very much a big advocate for. I'm very openly talking here with you guys. Um, and I think that's important that we are all together as a culture, society, trying to better ourselves, trying to reach this end goal of a better life for our end consumers or, or for us as a humanity. And I think that all too often innovation in the past has been people in white lab coats sitting behind closed doors and keeping to themselves. And I think that needs to change more of the open culture that people and the next generation of people coming through, they want more transparency from the brands and the way they relate to them. So the openness and our willingness to be transparent about how we operate, what we're doing, who we're working with, why we're doing it is, is becoming more and more of a driver from a consumer standpoint, but also an important thing for us as a, a shared society to kind of keep together going on that North Star really. Uh, can you share some of the innovations and or projects that you look back on and think, wow, I was part of that? Uh, I think one of the ones I talk a lot about, which is one of my new, more recent ones, which is a thing called Watch Your Whiskey. So Watch Your Whiskey is a, it was my baby for about 18 months, nearly two years at Diageo. So um, this was all born out of a fantastic piece of technology or a, 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 something that we were using in the business called Vivanda or Flavor Print, which was all about um, digitizing taste. How can we take such a sensory thing such as taste and be able to put a, a zeros and ones and numbers against it? Because it's such a key part of our products and, and the way that people experience and celebrate life every day, everywhere, the Diageo mantra. We were using flavor print in our R&D facility quite well to be able to think about how do we map the profile of our, one of our liquids, one of our whiskies? How do we know what that's going to look like? And it was a great tool that we were using in an R&D side. And there was a few activations of how they 
might be able to use the technology. But what we did is we tried to make a consumer-friendly interface for this amazing box of AI whiskey navigation, which is called Watch Your Whiskey, which is you answer 11 food-based questions. So do you like bananas? Do you like cereal? Do you like brown brown flakes? And based off your 11 answers, we got five data points on each of those questions. That would make a data map or a flavor profile for you, for Phil, for Dan. And then we would then match that against our liquids that we had mapped. So we could then scientifically prove and know with a good 90, 80, 90% accuracy, Phil is going to like this whiskey because his flavor profile says he likes this kind of thing. And that has been a really interesting thing about how we, the reason why we're doing it, what the hypothesis was and what the problem we were trying to solve is whiskey portfolio navigation is difficult. We can all be standing there in a whiskey shop or an off license where there are amazing bottles and we, same with wine. You sit there and look at these walls and walls of fantastic designed logos and bottles and spirits and you never know what's the right one for you. So we wanted to be able to use to give confidence to someone to be able to purchase the right whiskey through this digital experience. So we built it as a digital experience. We've now used it as part of Johnny Walker Princess Street in our brand home. So when you go to the physical space, you do your flavor print, you get a wristband that's whatever your flavor profile color. When you walk around Princess Street, you can then have drinks that are made to you based off your flavor profile and your flavor experience, which just takes that personalization to the next level. Um, and then the big announcement we made about two months ago is we actually have now acquired that business. So we bought a company called Vivanda, which are the, the uh, AI engine behind uh, Flavor Print and Watch Your Whiskey. And we bought our first tech company to be able to think about how do we use this and bake this more into it. So that went from a innovation of a activation of whiskey navigation to a activation tool for our brand homes in a way that people can personalize their experience to now being something that we've acquired and brought into the business to think about how do we use that across other categories to make the simplicity of whiskey navigation or liquid navigation based off the individual users. So talking of sort of innovation and looking at what's coming up, in a few weeks' time, you will be hosting Diageo's Global Digital Breakthrough Innovation Team as they all descend on a London village. So give us a little idea of what the agenda is looking like for you and as you sort of hunt the next big big thing or next big idea. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. We've, we've recently been uh, underneath our new chief innovation officer, a guy called Mark Sands, who's been in Diageo for a long time now. Um, he's come in as our chief innovation officer. And we've now got this breakthrough innovation, which is that three to five year thinking for innovation and that goes across packaging liquid um, and various different new products and solutions we're very lucky that we're going to bring everyone together from various parts of the world into london um, where we're going to do a mixture of internal focusing on what we're doing what, what work streams and projects and pilots that we can um, cross-pollinate a little bit because all too often when any large organization you can get silos of innovation silos of work streams and i think a lot of the time will be just us sitting around the table sharing what we're working on being able to feed into each other's, bringing different interpretations and points of view to have you thought about this, um, as well as getting that stimulus. So we're doing two days of in- internal thinking and then two days of external thinking. So we're going to go to meet a couple of our agencies. We're going to go and head to hopefully Secret Cinema and go and see some immersive theatre. Uh, we're also going to go to like the, the likes of The Mill and the production companies to go and see what interesting stuff they're doing with these kind of virtual productions and digital avatars and this next generation these things that don't convey themselves through a screen where you need to physically go and touch and feel and have that tangible. Um, we're going to go and meet an interesting company around the corner called Outernet, which is the Tottenham Road site, which has got a new venue. We're, so we're going to go and meet a, a plethora of different sectors and businesses and industries to just listen and try and absorb and, and 
just to spend time with each other. We're all a bit um, over being on Zoom calls. I think getting us together in a room for four, four days is going to be fantastic to be able to really cross-pollinate and really challenge each other to think about, okay, what are our big bets? What are the areas that we're going to be focusing on um, across the various sectors of the business? There's a role there for you and I, Dan, because we could we could be the tasters. I was thinking exactly the same yeah. thing. I was thinking that is that's our sweet spot. They need that. They need that sort of person in there. You know, not all they don't all have to have brains and be amazing innovators. They might just be able to decide what's the difference between a pint of Boddington's and a glass of whiskey. Absolutely, and and we're. And Will's an extremely handsome man, but I'm not, you know, surely not everyone at the Asia is. Maybe you need a couple of good-looking blokes that can that. drink some that. whiskey, pour some whiskey, taste things. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah. So speaking of that, how, how do you spot a fad from a game cha- a game changer? I, I think that's the million-dollar question a lot of the time. Is is and then what what I class it as? What do we see as a trend, or what do we just see as trendy? And I think trendy is sometimes a very flash in the pan, kind of quick little win to kind of activate and ride that hype train. And it's very difficult to know that the consumer like Gartner do the kind of technology adoption curve that, that they republish every year, which is interesting to check out. It's free. They do these reports once a year that gives you an idea of when is it going to go from um, early adopters to mainstream adoption. And I think that is a very, it's important to surround yourself with as much reporting in areas and, and where you need to go into. And one of the areas I'm chatting to a lot of people about is how do I predict or know what areas to play or move into? And that is very difficult. We, we're the, the world of the metaverse, thanks to Zuckerberg, has become the kind of buzzword bingo word of the uh, last 18 months of metaverse strategy and metaverse. And there's a lot of opinions to and from that. And I think, I don't think metaverse will be the end kind of think big. I think the idea of culture and remote connection that was supercharged by what happened with COVID and us having to do our Friday night pints on a Zoom call with our mates because we couldn't go down the local, um, that adoption is is going to go beyond just the metaverse strategy right now to looking at new occasions and remote experiences that we can have that you need to just scrape beyond the hype and really think about what that long-term impact is. So I think looking at those kind of Gartner hype cycles are very good to be able to see the adoption and just get yourself out there. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to predict and just to expose yourselves to sectors or, or as many reports that um, help you cut through the BS that may be there and the hype to really, what is it solving? What is it doing? And how are we really going to be able to use this? It's going to benefit the end consumer and think outside your bubble. You work on the Beamer brand council. Mm-hmm advising how brands can build closer bonds with digital practitioners. So how does the Agile work with its digital partners? I think I've been very lucky to be part of Beamer over the years. I think there is an organisation, as, as, as well as you, Phil, and various other sectors, is it's important to have these advocates to talk about the future of talent, the, the future of the digital skills, gaps, the opportunities that are there. And I've been very lucky to, I've gone through almost all forms of Beamer, from the Beamer 100 to judging the awards and now I'm on the Beamer Brand Council and I think our role there is to try and help navigate brands whether you're advanced further down the the innovation funnel the digital journey or the digital transformation or whether you're just starting it out I think it's it's about cross-pollination and that open innovation with that council um, the one thing for me and, and what I think Diageo is very good at is, is and not, I'm not speaking on behalf of Diageo, but, but my experience over the last four years is that 
we are very good at having great digital partners and presence um, across different areas and be able to really have different talent pools embracing neurodiversity and the alternative thinkers. We've got great uh, digital build partners, great agencies that we work with. Um, but I think we have a great leadership that has been very forward thinking. I did the, the, the kind of parental leave that they do for the employees here, the, the relationships we have with co-creation with our agencies, not a kind of, I'm agency one side of the table, client on the other side of the table. I'm very much against that. I think it's all about us going on a journey and finding the best solution together. That there is a cultural shift that I think as agencies are going through their kind of identity crisis of what they are and how they work with brands and, we see a lot of brands bringing stuff in-house. I have friends that are at Specsavers and a BA that are bringing in certain agency roles and digital specific skill sets that are good to have closer to the brands. And I'm, I'm lucky that I'm close to the brand. I can live it, breathe it, bleed it, talk about it. But I also think that role in the relationship with our partners externally helps keep us on our toes. It keeps us thinking differently because all too often any large corporate, you can all too often be drinking your own Kool-Aid. And I think that relationships with external partners and, and people that think differently is the best way for you to go and break that bubble sometimes and really push the boundary. You spoke, you gave a brilliant definition earlier around innovation. And obviously you've sort of described over the last few minutes your process, you know, how you go about it. Obviously in relationship to Diageo, now a lot of our listeners will be either agency side or maybe working at small businesses or doing marketing or digital within a smaller agency or company. So what would be your sort of one takeaway for a business or an agency that's smaller that's looking to invest more in innovation? What sort of one piece of advice you could give? I think from personal experience, hiring outside of your usual talent pool. I think I was very lucky. I, I Traditionally, some of the agencies I've worked at they took a punt on me. They let me come into their shop and let me do what I wanted to do and, and be able to work with them to define what their innovation journey was and their innovation focus. I think, and I've done that very much with Diageo, I was very lucky to come into this this organisation in such a key time. But hiring outside of your own talent pool, don't just cookie cutter, someone leaves a role, let's hire someone exactly the same. That's not going to further you as an organisation. If you have an opportunity, if you have a headcount, if you have a, a, a space to be able to bring someone in that's different or have a grad scheme, bring different people in. Go out and cross-pollinate yourself in sectors that you do not know about or are very different to what you do because that is where you start getting that next generation of true alternative digital thinkers for your organisation and for you to future-proof yourself, I'd say, and give them control and power to be able to influence around the table um, rather than a nice-to-have, but, but as a necessity. I've got so many more questions I'd like to ask, but maybe we can do that at South By. So last question for this particular podcast, which is a question we ask all of our guests, but talking to someone in innovation might be interesting. What is one of life's complexities you would like to see made simpler? Oh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> I think uh, one of the interesting ones I was talking to someone about the other day was a frustration of mine, and, and it's overcomplicated, is especially like as I get older, as we all get older, trying to schedule times. So reconnecting and scheduling moments with friends 
is never easy. We've always got that thread of 10 people going, trying to find a Friday night we can meet up for a pint down the local or trying to do a weekend away with friends. Calendars and calendar management and, and organising social occasions is still a minefield of difficulty, whether you're going to see Absolutely. someone or whether you're reconnecting. I think that that as it's more important for us than ever to go and rekindle relationships, that, that calendar management and the opportunity of meeting up is just still very long-winded about scheduling. Good answer. Will, that was awesome. Really, thanks so much. So as we come to land, as we finish another episode, we'll be back soon with another fantastic guest. We've got a lot going on in the agency world at the moment, including launching our new technology product called OmniBI. If you're interested in finding out about how you can get access to a digital agency and a data platform all in one go, visit omnibi.co.uk.